After all this, you still... I still want that gas, yes. And you had better deliver. Hey, dear listeners, welcome back to The Greenhouse. Um, I've got an episode that I've been meaning to do for a while now. I've got uh, Twitter's very own poop dude here on the line. And uh, we're going to talk about a series that didn't get a lot of love. So we're going to be talking about um, Netflix's Sacred Games, which is an adaptation of the novel of the same name by Vikram Chandra. Um, and we've got, we've got a bit of an extended discussion on it because it's, it's, it's a unique work in terms of what it has to say about India, the fact that it is a uniquely Indian work about about the land and also like it's got some very noited very well done parapolitical themes as well as just like uh being one of the better products to come out of netflix yeah i think it's the only good netflix adaptation of a popular novel right um, or even like any popular like pre-existing ip <laughs> That's, I mean, that's uh, fair considering the, the the really shitty anime adaptations. Oh, yeah. God. So, I mean, let, let's probably start with the basics, right? Like, um, what was your introduction to the show? Um, well, I watch a lot of, I mean, I'm familiar with Anuraka Ship. Right. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of... Uh, I'm a I'm a huge fan of like a lot of his movies, um, and of course Nawaz Bai. Man, Nawaz Bai is like kind of goaded, uh, so I was like, I gotta check the show out. Right. I also was I was also intrigued by Saif Ali Khan playing like a cop, and I was like, that's that's not his like usual shtick. Like he's usually going for like either he's a rom com hero or some kind of like super Bollywood dramatic character. Um, but I want to see him as this like middle-aged cop character. And I was like, this is kind of intriguing, so I check it out. And uh, I did not expect it to turn out to be like Tom O'Neill chaos, right? Meets, like weird scenes inside Laurel Canyon, um, but in an Indian setting. Um, I guess it's like weird scenes inside Borewali or something, <laughs> given that it's in Mumbai. But it's it's pretty, it's really intriguing, and there's a lot of like real world influences that kind of get sneaked in there artistically um that i really like um and it's just it, it's a really fun show and it makes has probably the most unlikable yet likable protagonist i've seen um so would you say that more so for um sartaj who's safe ali khan's character or more so for um Ganesh, who's um nawazuddin siddiqui's character I would say, say Gaithorn Day is like super fascinating as a character. Um, it's he's so intriguing, um, but even even his most like worst um, arcs are somewhat enter- like interesting to actually go through. Right. Saipali uh, Khan's character is very sympathetic, and I feel like he's a, he's like kind of an audience stand-in because he just kind of explores and unravels all these threads one at a time. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think like as far as um this genre goes, right? Of like the um conspiracy thriller, conspiracy investigation genre. 
how you set up the protagonist in that story like determines if the work is going to be enjoyable or if it's going to be a slog right so like i'm thinking of like a film like antoine fuqua's shooter right where you have this like near superhuman protagonist but you have like a bumbling fbi agent like stand-in who's like his partner in the investigation so it provides like a nice balance and then with this um setup right it's it's in a context that like you don't see often like i'm trying to think of like even within bollywood or just indian cinema in general maybe maybe there's like some south indians in films like i just haven't seen that do touch on this but like in hindi cinema in general right like very rarely is a conspiracy plot ever done and if it is very rarely have i seen it done well right and then to have yeah. this uh dichotomy between like a cop who is on the receiving end of hearing the story of like what you can hear describe as like a mob leader intelligence assets and like unwitting terrorist in a way right like and hearing his side of the story also the fact that like ganesh at the point of our story is dead and sartaj is the living one and like it's this like transfer of information going on in this dichotomous way that like drives the narrative forward it's it's both novel and also like perfectly executed in a way i haven't seen anything else yeah it almost feels like an epistolary novel like the because a lot of it is revealed through like voice clips or like he's going around interviewing people who knew um guy Fonde. Or, like, he's, like, literally going through records and reading things. Um, so it really does feel like it's, like, to, like they're communicating through letters. Um, yeah, it, it is very cool that way. That, I, don't, I don't know too many, like, mystery novels or movies that are kind of set up in that format. Um, it almost feels like uh, I've been playing this game Pentiment. Um, it's a pretty cool medieval game. Um, it it kind of has that similar kind of vibes um, in the way it's structured. Um, yeah, and I'll I'll say every single character in the show is depicted in a very compelling way, and um, I would say that in Hindi there is a lot, there is some like parapolitical um, presence in movies, but I would say that like in India I don't really see a distinction between parapolitics and politics because they're so right. intertwined and widely accepted. I think the whole parapolitics versus politics is a is kind of more useful in a place where third wave politics has completely stripped apart any material analysis from being um conducted and uh in, in like popular discourse but i think in anywhere else in the world like even other um you know developed countries of the core um the distinction between parapolitics and politics is very very narrow um like especially in like italy like um or, e or even the uk or, or um you know uh even Japan or Korea, you know, there's like the distinction between parapolitics and politics is like very, very marginal in discourse or they blend into each other. Um, it's, I think it's just a unique USAN discourse where um, I guess like a libertarian mindset means that because it's focused on the individual, you have to separate like organized politics from persona based politics, if that makes sense. Um, so that. Um, because all politics as depicted on news and um, legitimate 
uh, discourse is persona based. So it's based on, you know, charismatic individuals fighting for, um, you know, representative positions that are actually not too different from each other. They're probably funded by the same um, institutions or um, probably came out of the same institutions in many cases. Um, but, you know, you can't recognize that or discuss that meaningfully um, because the language itself is so catered to, like, you know, individualized, atomized discourse. Um, but other places have much less of that. So you can actually consider systems. 100%. I also think, like, in the American context, right, there's this um, veneer of respectability and this idea that um, institutions are billed as if they actually work. And the actors within those institutions are, you know, fundamentally honest in some sense, right? And I don't even, think even that delusion... Are, sorry, oh. I just want to say, even if they are dishonest, they are acting individually. 100%, you know, 100%, it, 100%, yeah, yeah. As, and that's sorry. why... We, oh, no, you're fine, you're fine. Like, um that you you touched on that perfectly right which is like any failure of the system is like a one-off thing it's not representative of the whole whereas like that delusional kind of thinking you really don't see that um in indian uh political discourse uh, you don't really see that in like how politicians argue with one another um or even like in the way that like the news is reported on right like there's like um like like things like gang connections like corruption scandals shit like that like it's not nearly as salacious in the way it is here in the United States where like rather than it being unthinkable it's more like oh great what did he how did he get caught you know what i mean it, it, it because people have a like material understanding that of how power is um used in a you know, in society, you know, um, mm -hmm. I think that's common everywhere. Like, um, you go to Japan and everyone knows that, you know, the Liberal Democratic Party um, leaders are all members of Nippon Kaigi, which is like this, you know, right-wing ultra-nationalist uh, mob, allegedly mobbed up work, and people are, like, open about it and they accept it. Um, whereas you go around and you ask most Americans um, who or, you know, maybe they've even voted in the 2000 election. They won't remember the, um, the, sorry, I'm blanking on the name, but the riot that happened, the, what did they the call it? Riot, the Brooks Brothers riot, is that what they called it? Yeah, the Brooks Brothers riot. Like, no one will remember the Brooks Brothers riot. Like, you go around and ask people, and they're like, what, that happened? I, I didn't know that. Um, they're just like, maybe some people might remember something about hanging chads. But, um, you right. know, like, that, that, that's just such an explicit, you know, um, undemocratic use of power that happened within our lifetime, within living memory, and no one remembers it. Um, and everyone just pretends that, oh, it was just the institutional um, established uh, machinery just working the way it should that gave us that outcome. Um, so it, it's just very strange. I, I mean, yeah, you nailed it right there. If any other country acted the way the Supreme Court did for that election, you know, uh, our press would be like, Look at this anti-democratic, authoritarian, rogue state, blah, 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 blah. But it's okay when we do it. <laughs> and, and, like, the populace of any other state where that happened would be extremely, like, dissatisfied. And, um, like, you know, just it, there would be a lot of agitation. Um, but, again, like, like we're saying, like, there's no, like, that kind of awareness is just not there. Um, yeah. 
it's a very strange, <laughs> atomized um, mental landscape that that is being being in the discourse here. Yeah, and like to basically like I don't know I, I don't know if we can summarize the plot because it's pretty complicated, but like I guess the way the story starts right is that Sartaj is a cop in the Mumbai police force, and he's in the middle of like a, a shady case. He has to lie during official testimony, and the kind of like cold open they give us is like the rest of his department's basically telling him like, hey, if you don't uh, commit perjury we could basically kill you and make it look like an accident. Yeah, pretty much. Not, um, oh, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, like, and it's like, he's dealing with that on top of, like, being divorced. He's trying to, like, you know, find some kind of, like, meaningful thing to do in his life. And he's very haunted by this idea of, like, his father is, like, one of the few honest cops on the force. So... In his like melancholy, he gets a call from this uh, gangster, Ganesh Gaitonde, who hasn't been seen in years, and is basically a conspiracy is being unraveled over the phone, and he gets wrapped up in the middle of it, and it initially starts kind of like you know in a cool way for him, like okay, he can kind of be a badass investigator, but then what he really turns into is like he gets it way in over his head every episode while like trying to unravel this massive conspiracy that has him tangled between like organized crime um indian and pakistani intelligence elements uh religious fundamentalism and like the yeah, most unique and drug trade <laughs> for sure on top of that on top of that right and then like <laughs> yeah, it's so much and and then like um the 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 main the 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 primary antagonist um who i guess is guruji in this case right this is like like a fiction of like not just like um a maharishi style like figure yeah. but also like there's these bizarre elements of like Thelemite in imagery and like the Rajneeshis show, that, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, right, have, there's all those elements in there. Have you heard of Ananda Marga? I have not. Um, so actually, this is not the first Bollywood representation of Ananda Marga. Um, if you've if you've seen Jagga Jesus, which is an I think it's an unfairly maligned film. Um, but have you heard of the Perulia Arms Drop? Um, it is an allegation. Um, wherein a Danish pilot dropped arms to a, um, a, a cult compound in West Bengal, um, who, and this cult famously had a lot of clashes with the Communist Party at the time, which was, I would say, pretty revisionist and um, pretty, pretty cast, uh, I would say they were like pretty castist too, um, that it, cast chauvinism uh, in Bengali leftist circles is pretty... <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately was pretty prevalent at the time and it wasn't even like a radically leftist communist party at the time by any means um but you know that didn't stop uh people from trying to um you know overthrow them or uh yeah or ha have beefs with them got you and then the contours of this case is that this 
cults or fringe group was like receiving foreign arms shipments to fight off this regime, basically, right? Yeah. Dang. Um, and, the, and, and these this, cases aren't really cult- talked about in the Indian context at all. No, and Anand the Marga also allegedly had a role to play in a Australian incident um, in Sydney. Um, so, and apparently that also had potential ties to intelligence or other groups and stuff. So, um, again, this is all like weird allegations that I've like that are his- were historically alleged at the times. Um, and Anand the Marga famously had a lot of clashes with um, you know the Bengal, the West Bengal um, left front, um, and. There were a couple of massacres of Anand the Marga um, monks um, and attacks on them too. Um, so it was like a pretty strange time. And I think there's a lot of Anand the Marga like inspired um, kind of stuff that's gone into the show. And I think like the, the show understands neoliberalism to such a beautiful level. Um, and, and particularly neocolonialism. And it understands that institutions of faith can institutions of faith and self-help can basically flourish in a liberal like libertarian world context Mm -hmm. and they can easily amass be be like kind of like a rally points for you know right-wing internationalism and um like materially funnel a lot of right-wing um agenda and um beliefs into to achieve material um goals um especially under the guise of perhaps cultural institutions or um you know nonprofit initiatives and such and it's a uh, it, it it does describe that in in, in some detail uh, because you know like you see all these international like pretty pretty right-wing um you know elites who like visit the guruji the ashram and they're like you know they're they're, they're a, obsessed with the kind of self-help like um you know consciousness erasing um or they're all orientalist and they're like we can get into this eastern mysticism to like make ourselves gods (laughs) um because you know being a billionaire is not enough oh and i mean you you nailed it on the head because like the aesthetic choice they go with is to have the members of this cult call you know they chant aham brahmasmi which translates to i mean fundamentally i am brahma or i am god and the evil plot or the conspiracy is that they want to trigger a nuclear war and they were basically like what funneling funds and arms to uh right-wing intelligence uh elements in pakistan as well as ratcheting up um like hindu sectarianism in india to like really ratchet up a conflict and they help manufacture like a nuclear bomb to be launched in mumbai and that's the conspiracy that gets uncovered and they try to stop i think i mean i think that's the broad contours of the plot right yeah um it's fundamentally like classic use of strategy of tension right oh and they they launder the funds and they also launder the funds through a nonprofit. that's the one thing i forgot yeah Yeah, they launder a lot of funds through nonprofits, and they kind of unite like um you know the drug trade with human trafficking um, intelligence and various right-wing interests they coalesce and they're kind of like intersected by this one organization whose sole purpose is basically the destruction of mankind um it, it is emblematic of the kind of death drive that is kind of, um the neoliberal hellscape um 
you know, you're going to defund and privatize every public asset. You know, you're going to exacerbate exploitation of workers and um, marginalized people. But, you know, hey, some people get to live in a compound and uh, will use all this amassed wealth to, you know, escape whatever consequences of climate change or, um, you know, escalation of nationalist conflict um, that they've profited off of. And right. those guys will want to inherit, they, they will get to inherit the earth or they'll get to go to Mars or whatever. Um, whereas the masses and the, the larger, you know, sections of humanity are suffering. And that's just how the neoliberal structure is naturally, you know, catered towards. And that's, I think that's why we see a lot of, um, like, prepperism in the global core. And, and you don't see preppers, you know, from, you know, the global periphery who are, you know, starving and being exploited. You know, um, they're forced to live in the here and now, but the people who have the luxury to, you know, they're obsessive preppers. Um, and they're also often right-wing people who have these vested class interests in propagating the unsustainable um, destruction of the planet and the continuation of, um, you know, nationalist tensions that they probably directly profit off of um, through their, you know, stakes in, you know, whether arms manufacturing or um, indirectly through being part of companies or um, financial circles that profit off of, um, you know, global periphery exploitation. Oh yeah, 100%. And that was like a unique theme they brought into the series, right? Which is like the members of this cult are like they they're doing like their own unique form of doomsday prepping. It doesn't look like the usual like USA like uh right-wing militia stuff, but instead it's like these very like sleek bunkers with like supplies in a basement and like a couple creature comforts. And that's something you don't see at all, you know, in in a even in like fictionalized stories in in Bollywood, you don't see that at all. Yeah, you don't see this kind of like apocalyptic, um, yeah, um, perspective in in Indian media writ large. I think it's it's very rare. Um, even in like I guess darker movies. Um, I'm not sure. Have you seen Shanghai? Um, it's it's an adaptation of uh, Costas Gavro's um, Z um it's got a banger soundtrack but um that's a pretty noited um, like political thriller movie but um you know it doesn't have the same kind of apocalyptic um vision that this um you know this tv show focuses on and i think a lot of a lot of it is because the author is dangerously um extremely dangerously um conscious of the hazard of nuclear war especially in an impoverished um south asian subcontinent um that relies on like two rivers to feed everyone basically right um and you know the the fallout alone is just going to be so eternal and so damning for like all life you know not just humans right um, that it, it's like unimaginable level of catastrophe that can befall and it's constantly being promoted by the strategy of tension by vested class interests you know that continuously profit off of um um you know the, this kind of escalation and um, a lot of it is, of course, you know, done through, you know, religious organizations as, as well as, you know, um, industrial organizations, think, think tanks, um, elite class interests in general and caste interests. Um, and it, it is, I think the author is just so aware of that and is uh, kind of, frankly, uh, rightfully so, kind of um, scared to death by it. And I think more people should be and they should be aware of like, okay, this is where the circumstances are leading to. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I guess, like, you know, to maybe come back to, like, our heroes in this story, right? There's this, um, 
there's this tale that's being weaved as Sartaj is doing his investigation and uncovering various layers of the conspiracy, right? And this question is being posed to him um, of, is this world even worth saving? And up until the end, like, he starts getting very blackpilled on it. And he sees things that somewhat justify that impression up until, like, he has, like, a real crisis moment in a dream and, like, it's basically broken down to him that, like, yeah, the world's kind of shitty, but, like, people are, you know, fundamentally capable. It's it's very sappy in a way, right? But it's, like, you know, people are capable of love and affection and, like, finding joy in their lives. So, like, is it even fair to end the world if that's the case? All I'm going to say is Sartaj has the least divorced dad energy. Um... Yeah, he he is a really sympathetic character. Um, the only sympathetic divorced uh, middle-aged man crisis character in in media, I think. And I think, like in the Indian context, right? Like that kind of guy is like it. It is it's taboo to be that guy, to be yeah. like uh, at the bottom of the pecking order in your workplace. Um, to basically like you only have your mother you can talk to. That's the only person you can trust. You've got a few people in your department who you can talk to, and that's about it. And then, um, you know, you had, like, a difficult divorce, and you you aren't even finding, um, like, a way around it. And that's a, that's a bit of a stark contrast to the depiction in the novel. Not that we need to get too deep into all the differences, but in the novel, he's not nearly as much of a quote-unquote loser. And I don't even think he is a loser per se in the show, but we're given that big impression of like everyone hates him. And very subtly, you know, Anurag Kashyap is, is basically pointing to it and saying, like, you know, what other people think of you is such a deep um driving animus in like social interactions in India and in Indian culture, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that Sartaj and um, Gaitonde are both kind of parallels um, in that they're both outsiders, you know? Um, like mm-hmm. Sartaj, like, um, he's this Punjabi guy in Mumbai, I mean, this is, albeit second generation, where Gaitonde is just like straight up a rural guy who just ends up in the bustling city mm-hmm. um, with like no exposure to anything really um, and just kind of builds his own life um, from literally from like i think polishing boots all the way to you know rolling the city um mm-hmm. but it, it they're both kind of similar people in that they're really isolated people with few people they can trust at any point in time and um i, th- I think it, that might also come from unraka ship himself being um divorced at the time i think mm-hmm. um so I, I think that i think there is that kind of like uh, director some some self-insert maybe maybe not completely obviously but um i think there is a little bit of that there and um also just him being a non-family guy like non-bollywood dynasty guy in bollywood so maybe there's like some awareness of you know being an outsider um in circles that where everyone is like seemingly swimming freely in um but you learn like i like the show because later on you learn like some of the people you think were having an easy time like the um the Muslim cop um, colleague of um, Sartaj, who you who you think is just a corrupt, evil person at the beginning, but you learned like 
like he becomes a really interesting character. Um, really well, yeah, compelling. the second season he becomes really compelling. Yeah, yeah, he's like so cool. Like, um, like you, you realize the struggle is that he needs to suck up to the the politically connected boss because that's the only way he has any social worth. Um, like that's the only way he can get housing in most places because of residential discrimination. Oh yeah, um, it, it's it's to like that level of um, you know, like social stigma and that you know other people are just cooperating with the system not because they don't feel like they're alone, but it's because they don't have a choice. Um, because they're scared of what happens if they don't, in a way that Sadaj is just kind of not afraid. Because um, he's kind of doesn't have a family to feed. Um, he's kind of on his own, so that gives him a kind of freedom that other people don't have, um, in a way. He's kind of just let loose on the world. That's that's true. but And also, like, there's another aspect to this where it's like, yes, he is like, divorce dad energy but rather than like the usual like american divorce dad protagonist who like has these like bitter resentments of people and he takes out his like who unnecessarily takes out his wrath on the villains he's fighting and sartage does that to an extent but it's more sympathetically portrayed he's not exactly like spiteful misogynistic or like any of the things you would expect right like he's bizarrely yeah. like reverent he's somehow good with children he's very like sensitive to people's needs despite being like a cop it's very odd yeah and like you get the sense that he's kind of just in there because he just like um was just because his dad like he wanted to live up to his dad's um reputation but like even the fact that he marries like a psychiatrist i think his wife is like a doctor especially like she's like way more influential wealthy um and independent and you know he, he falls in love and marries her you know that's like he's not you know someone who's trying to be an alpha male you know he's he's a very soft boy and i think um that really is like a unique texture to the whole um show because i think if it was just another hard-boiled like um edgy cop like it, the show would be so much worse and pretty much unbearable most of the time oh yeah oh yeah like, there is a chivalrous quality to Sartage almost, and they kind of, they do touch on this in the novel, like, it is the same dynamic, but they don't get to it in the show, but basically, like, Sartage didn't have to take nearly as many bribes as a cop, because he was comfortable with his wife's money, you know what I'm saying? Like, while he was married, and then the divorce, like, opened him back up to, like, the backslapping and, like, greasing palms that cops have to do. And he was kind of protected from that while he was married. And then in the show, he doesn't really couch out to that as much. But what you kind of see is this, like, very... I, I don't know, the, the word in Hindi is bolapan, right? Where he's just, he's very innocent in a way. He doesn't yeah. want to, you know, be corruptible. But at the same time, like, he's willing to do what needs to be done. Yeah, he he's he's a really everyman character and, and a great audience insert and it works so well. Um and I think a large extent you're right, he's a blank slate. You know, like he's just um he has like a kind of innocence that he retains, even though he's like a middle aged man in a crisis. Um and, and honestly Saifali Khan just just knocks it out of the park. Um especially in a lot of the action scenes. Like I remember the scene where he like hyperventilates and he like fails to take out the bad guy. And it's, like, really pathetic, but there's also, like, a kind of chivalrous quality to it. And it's, like, staged so well. Um, and it's just performed very well. And, of course, like, I would just say, like, Nawazbai, like, he kills it. Like, he, his, like, accent, like, his Marathi, like, Hindi accent is, like, so convincing. 
Like I'm not. And his choice of words, his choice of words is so fucking funny. It, it is actually hilarious, and the amount he swears is just—it's so funny, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there, there's one line that like it just—it's one of my favorites where he's talking about one of his best friends, and like the line in Hindi is um. Like, we were so close, we shat with one ass. You don't get that in English. You don't get that. No, you can't. It's, it's literally, <laughs> it's, you can't translate that vibe, man. It's so well done. Oh, my God, yeah. And I, I think, like, also just um, the casting of both of them, right? I mean, Nawaz Bai, like, he's, he's done a lot of this style of role. Yeah. So he's very confident. yeah. Right, so he's very competent at doing like the Indian mobster character. With Gaitonde, though, he, there's the twist of like he's not always a hard ass. Like he is escaping a very violent past. He is escaping like a very deep seated sense of insecurity. And then Saif Ali Khan, right? Like you're you're right that he usually did get cast in like these rom com, very unserious uh, joke roles, and he's actually incredibly good at this role it's 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 it, it was it, it kind of just made me realize like oh wow like this industry doesn't even cater to the amount of talent that some of these artists have yeah for sure like i think his other great roles i remember is like omkara i'm not sure you've seen it but he plays like the villain and it's an othello adaptation by mm-hmm. as well, just part of the shakespeare trilogy um he, i mean he, he has like he does a really great performance in that movie but i think this movie, he, uh, this TV show, he just really, really just dials in um, because there's a lot of restraint. Um, there's a lot of like sincerity that he puts into the character, um, and you can he grew, he had to grow a lot of weight because he's usually like lean as fuck. <laughs> like, he wasn't necessarily fat though, and that's the thing is like no, no, there's no. this one line where it's like he got fat, and I'm like, that's that's just a guy who can like deadlift two fifty easy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He he he's like. He's like you definitely bodybuilder, like still, still like, you know, fit. But you know, he's not like you, like what he usually is in every movie. <laughs> like, right, right. He's not like trim or like you know cut. Yeah, yeah. He's not cut. Sartaj, uncut, unleashed. Oh gosh, um, I'm trying to figure out where we should jump next to in the outline, but I guess like um. Another thing maybe we should touch on too is is the particular setting of Mumbai, right? Yeah. And it, in a way it is a character like uh I sent you a, a, an interview with uh, the author and this question came up in the interview where they were like I mean Mumbai is kind of a character in the series and that's that remains true even in the television adaptation, right? Where like Mumbai is the backdrop of this entire conspiracy as well as all of the crazy dynamics of all the character interactions. I think that is specifically because Mumbai is a city built by colonialism. Mm. Like it, it is, it is, it is built by the the trade that colonialism created. Like um, there's no other Indian port city that is constructed after you know 1800 entirely the way that Mumbai. Mumbai is like seven islands that were reclaimed from the sea. Um, through a series of like it, it, really huge engineering projects, the likes of which um, were really not seen even in the European mainland um, at the time. Um, they mm. were they were just massive, massive um, land reclamation projects. Um, 
No, which is which is kind of scary, given that it's like one of the largest metropolitan cities in the world, and it's completely on. Probably it's easy it's next to be under sea level with climate change, but um, uh, it, it is it is very scary. And um, it, before there were a couple of it was like a fishing village. It was like kind of small. Um, there are like old cave art um, of previous dynasties in some Mumbai suburbs, but it was by no means like a port city. Um, like a center um, entrepot to the Indian Ocean trade, the way something someplace like Cochin was right. um, for centuries, um, or someplace like um, yeah, like same thing with Madras and Mumbai. Like Madras is not physically um, built by you know like this industrial age colonialism, the same way that Mumbai was reclaimed from the sea, but it is also like a very minor um, coastal settlement that was just. Um, embraced by the British as a forward op- base of operations. Um, pretty much, they're pretty much. If you went to Madras, it is exactly that vibe. Yeah, it is completely a city that's built by you know colonial interests, um, and, and the same way Mumbai is uh, to the same extent. So I think that's the significance of Mumbai as a character is that it is there is a pervasive like neo-colonial like uh, as well as colonial ghost haunting um, you know the kind of setting and the driving of the plot. Um, and, and I think, um, there's also a lot of, um, like, kind of monologues where Gaitonde will just, like, start saying poetry about, like, Mumbai and, like, how much he loves being in Mumbai or whatever, like. <laughs> yeah, and also an additional thing is, like, um, there, there are a couple scene cuts that happen, and this is ironically, like, one of my favorite parts of the series, and it's, 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 like, a minor part of it is, like, when... There's a time jump that needs to happen in Gaitonde's story. Um, he will basically like give a brief run of events in like his in in his like view as a gangster kind of way. So he talks about events like the destruction of um, the Babri Masjid and like how it like it opened up more chaos. He talks about like um, the state of emergency that Indira Gandhi declares. He talks about all these events, right? And, like, it sets the tone for how, like, on the one hand, like, Mumbai is a is a hub that's, like, connected to this global crazy system. And even within India is, like, a major center of, like, uh, power within India as a whole, right? But at yeah. the same time, there's this underground world that, like, remains relatively stable by his own hand in a way yeah like it it thrives in the chaos it like it actively gets stronger with you know the more violent and the more like um unstable things become you know it it it, it kind of enjoys it in in a perverse way um it yearns for it even yeah yeah and i think like in addition to that too like um the other thing that will get you about the depiction of Mumbai, right, is, like, you get a full-spectrum treatment of the city. You don't just see, like, the highly developed parts where, like, the most capital has been injected, and it looks like a, like a you know, approximation of, like, a European city or, like, something that would look amenable to 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 rich foreigners, you also see like the most impoverished parts of the city. You see like the massive uh disparities in wealth just across like 
a single wall. You see, like, um, between, like, the police station where Sartage works and, like, some of the cases he has to work, like, the abject conditions people live in and work in, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, it, it really is, like, a cross-sectional view of um, Mumbai, and it, you, you see, like, all the different classes and, like, all the different interactions. And I think you see, you begin to see, like, distinctly, like, the notion of religion as a lumpenizing force um, that unites disparate classes, ultimately, um, in a grift pyramid. Um, right. You know, like, the big guy at the top is, like, willing to give his lackeys, like, jobs, promotions, pension jobs, um, you know, maybe, like, gifts of money when they're struggling in exchange for doing violence, basically, at his will. Um, electoral violence and intimidation of you know, rival fates and by doing so you know you you develop this kind of um lumpen organizational structure um that's based on private you know private cap owners of capital um who can kind of have an army of uh, associated goons to do their bidding who are kind of you know who they need that kind of revenue stream um from these um elite you know um to thrive and i think even the large part the gang wars um shown gaitori himself he's like kind of a muscle man for a lot of political forces Un unwittingly even because he does it for a personal vendetta against uh and you know an enemy gangster um but it ends up like fracturing his own group too along um like uh religious and sectarian lines unfortunately and and that's like a unique point in gaitori's story right where like the minute he begins to lose control over his organization is when, like, he becomes pawns, he becomes a pawn in a game bigger than him. And yes. that's the game between, like, Indian intelligence and the Guruji. Yeah, and it's like, I, I would argue that it, it is sort of, it, it is to the best interest of everyone in power for the escalation the the, event, the eternal escalation you know um and i think that's shown very well um but by the guruji just like waiting for this apocalyptic event to happen you know um this helter skelter shit happening is like what every like all the elite interests um who are moving the plot kind of yearn for um it is like a death drive you know it's a civilizational death drive um that can drastically impact humanity because um, I think the show even explicitly says, like, you know, this is not just a war between two countries now. This is going to be a world war, um, right. you know, because because nukes have been thrown. So it's it's going to be um, hell for all of humanity. And um, yeah, it, it is it is extremely dark in that sense, um, and it is extremely aware of you know what this irresponsible neoliberal kind of um, regimes, uh, global regime is. Um, kind of what it's built towards um its worst tendencies are you know really examined um critically um and i want to plug um someone whose research i really love johnson porto he's a he's a professor who did a lot of research on how demo democratization like neoliberalism um in south korea actually enhanced in many ways the influence of organized crime because during the dictatorship regime, they could have just had cops, you know, beat up protesters, um, street vendors, um, do a lot of um, cleaning out uh, 
district set aside for rebuilding or gentrification. But now, you know, you have private security companies that are doing the same in a democratic, uh, allegedly democratic, um, like neoliberal corporate context. Um, so the, the show, I mean, the show does have that where, you know, even as time progresses, the impact of these gang violence um, is actually, or the, the influence of the gangsters and the underworld is actually more, it gets stronger because they serve unique they have unique niches that you know official state sanctioned forces cannot intervene in or if they do they would have to have like that you know plausible deniability um and, and so all these underworld figures um are kind of super useful and critical for the functioning of even you know the right-wing internationalists um kind of coalescing around uh, religious and self-help mindset type of uh, institutions too um they all kind of need that that muscle um and that getting things from point a to point b um that third hand to grease other people's palms and stuff and it really does show that how much of neoliberalism is built upon like you know pe people greasing the wheels you know um the, the hard mafia um workers out there making sure that um the money laundering is going right <laughs> Right. So uh, there's there's two additional places I want to take this discussion now. So the first is let's let's go back to the to our primary antagonist um Guruji, right? In in a way um he attributes his own rise as a um I mean he's not even a religious fundamentalist in a way. He's like a occultist if you think about it right he's he definitely an occultist self-help um type guy like a he's more osho than you know yeah 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 like maybe maybe you have like some juggy vasudev vibes maybe but like it's not like a theosophical society of orientalist is like nominating him as like the new god on earth his no. own parents start worshiping him in a bizarre thing right yeah and they wanted to start the grift early Right, right, and like he basically in a in a in a flash in a very brief flashback, the Guruji says that um, he his father was arrested by Indira Gandhi's regime, and that's what drove him up the wall to do this crazy conspiracy. And he that's spe he specifically says they told me I was an avatar, but not of what, of not of who. That's I, that's that's a specific line I remember. That is the line, and like I, the only thing I can think of, right, is that like he became an avatar of hyper individualism of the death yeah. drive. Yeah, of himself. And it's it's like a very like paled thing to for the show to 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 say is like the the end stay the biggest demons of blowback that neoliberalism produces are these avatars of individualism and the death drive and like if you want to look at the rajneeshis as a similar vein if you want to look at god like what epstein or um other other lems in general i would say like or just yeah just most um cultish corporations you know um yeah yeah work culture it's like um just uh grinds it grinds it you know just uh do anything to reach the top uh, you know your typical your typical ethos of any um 
of what any of, of what anyone expects out of a high functioning you know uh, member of society in a neoliberal um context is to be guruji basically that like self-help um obsessive um manipulator and um grindset guy uh, and marketeer um basically and thriving thriving off of chaos that you sue on the world um that that's that that is considered you know uh, a noble pursuit and encouraged yeah and it's like whether you go full occultist like alistair crowley or like you're this bizarre secular demon like andrew tate that is the philosophy these people advocate is just lay your full dominion uh, of earth at at its feet and like take control of it and fuck basic human decency yeah um it is very antithetical to i think um community like living in a community and what what always um surprised me about like the cult compound is like how isolated everyone is like you know what i mean like they don't do group activities even aside from they, sex, aside from like group sex, they don't really interact with one another. In fact, they're even always then, gaming. and they're always like, even during those sessions, they're like spread apart from each other. Yeah, like, like they're all like apart from each other and, 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 and like doing their own thing. <laughs> it's like the weirdest fucking like. It's the most insane atomized um, landscape you can imagine. And even in their like yoga sessions, they're like all silent. Pretty much, like, and then and then the only relationship that matters is like trying to get closer to Guruji. Like that's the only relationship that matters to any of them, and their much. relation to one another is like jockeying for position of that. And even the relationship with the Guruji is like so like minimal, and um, it's parasitic. Even um, it, it is so disturbing, and it really does remind me of like you know all the stuff about like trouble teen industry stuff like tactics right. they use like CDU and synonym and stuff and it's like where they like isolate individuals and they kind of um use social um stigma to like force people to coalesce around one leader and they kind of basically do it by breaking the bonds of the community and artificially um creating these like automatons uh, out of individuals um and it's, it's very it's very disturbing honestly the just how like dead everyone seems like uh Col like Kulki Kilon's character she's like so dead right um, right yeah um and then the other point that we've kind of talked about guruji now right is um the if if you are listening to this episode chances are You've probably listened to Jimmy Fallon Gong's show, Program to Chill, and you've heard his repeated line of, um, all history is family history. And that's a theme that, like, presents itself into the show in, like, a very, like, subtle and, like, haunting way. In that Sartage and, um, Gaitonde are really connected through, um, Sartaj's dad, that Sartaj is connected to the Guruji and his ashram through his father, that the Pakistani intelligence asset who's going to launch the nuclear bomb is his cousin because... Yeah, that is the wildest reveal. Like, you're like, holy shit, this is all one family who just really just want to die. 
No, and the, and this is the family that has been the most impacted by like the legacy of colonialism, right? Like yes. that it's split by the partition, yeah. yeah, by the partition, right? So the fact that like two guys who in if that didn't happen would just be cousins, probably normal, right? Now yeah. you have them on opposite sides of this massive conspiracy. And I'm trying to think of what other like family connections like possible. also Gaithondi um announces every character as like oh made a thisrapop or like my third made father yeah, yeah 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 and then um, they, they, the relationships of like chosen family also count in this in this uh, dynamic as well yeah it is it it is pretty um I don't remember why Guruji's dad dies to the did he protest something. Um, uh, from what I remember in that short scene is that because he protested in the Gandhi's regime, he was taken away. Yeah, um, and I, I think I think that is another like allusion to kind of um, I guess him, he, him being entranced by like state power um, and, and I guess just political power in general from an early age, uh, seeing what it did. What he can do, um, living through the emergency, um, so I, I think that is something that's kind of uh, stuck with him is that is that desire for power, um, and yeah, and also his emptiness about not knowing what avatar he was. So he becomes an avatar of <laughs> apocalypse, I guess. Um, pretty much, pretty much, yeah, yeah. Um, let's also get into like um. We, we talked about this offline where like this work is a little bit like pinching with Indian seasoning basically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't like until like I read um, the call, the crying of law 49 that I understood that, but that one scene in crying of law 49 where Edipa goes to that play about the history of waste. And then like, the the story itself is explaining the conspiracy. Yep, that's when I understood. Like, holy fuck! And there's a lot of like the similar story beats in the novel as well of the novel Sacred Games, where right, um, right just like a play. You know that book of all the horoscopes, right? Um, yeah. So there's the, we're there's like the, oh, go ahead, go ahead. They create their own prophecies that they fulfill. <laughs> by you know f trying to you know make their plan fit the reality that they envision um, yeah 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 there's that element and then there's also like um the big reveal at the end of season one right where um i mean sp we should have said this at the start spoiler alert but um show <laughs> it's like like there's this repeated like um motif of like anything that's connected to the conspiracy there's always a hidden door of some sort, and the hidden door yes. has a mandala on it, right? Yeah, and yeah. And it isn't until like he hears, like the Sartaj hears offhand, his mom listening to one of Guruji's sermons, and the, one of the sermons is just like, in front of an entrance of your home, any entrance, you should put a mandala. And then he he puts two and two together, and he sees like the speech, and then he sees like a mandala in the background of the speech. And then, like, suddenly the entire, like, conspiracy, like, clicks in his head of what's going on. That was, like, such a satisfying reveal. 
I, I think there's like a cool animation thing where like all, all the things form a bundle together. Like that that was pretty cool. And there's also the bundle on that door where the money is hidden for the plant. Like it's it's all done so perfectly. I love that um safari suit public uh public bureaucrat character. Um, what is his name? Trivedi. Yeah, Trivedi dude, that character is like he's like every single bureaucrat uncle you meet. Um just this <laughs> just extremely sleazy corrupt greasy guy who's like extremely right-wing but also fanatically religious um and doesn't care about if apocalypse comes as long as he gets to keep his pension and his laundered money um yeah just 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 an amazingly evil character uh, probably my most disliked character in the whole show it's it's definitely like <laughs> Once you, once you especially see like some of his role in the conspiracy in like season two, you understand why he's like he was the one of the first or not was he the first or like uh he's the first he member was the of most the, influential yeah yeah he was the first member of the conspiracy to see, we saw die yeah in season one yeah and like you you see Gaetone like basically killed him and like put him in a secret room of his bunker because he hated the guy so much. And then he gives this cryptic warning of everyone is going to die except Trivedi. Because that's, that's kind of like the arrogance of a Trivedi-like character, right? Like, yeah. even in death, he thinks he's going to get out of this. Yep. God, what, what, an, what, a, what a miserable character, dude. I hate him so much. <laughs> what, did you, what did you think of um, Malcolm, by chance? Because in the novel, he's, like a, he's a passing mention. Whereas in this story, he's like the, he's the operator that carries out a lot of the cult's goals. I think Malcolm is a broken person. I don't think he even has any individual will anymore. I think he's been completely conditioned into becoming like a, a perfect um, operator for the cult. Um, yeah. He doesn't seem to have any like, because I remember like he gets stabbed and he doesn't care. Like he's like, just completely broken as a human being. I wish we got to see more of how that became of him. Um, but I have a feeling it's not very pleasant. To, it's better to be left um, to speculation because it's probably not something that's pleasant to think about. All I remember is some like throwaway line that he might have been in prison in Germany at some point. And let's let's not let any Geiger counters go off. Yeah, but you know, like. Uh, there's there's so much that like we're just never going to know because anytime Netflix makes anything good, it has to be canceled. Yeah, and there were there was alleged that there might have been two more seasons, but all we get are two seasons that end on a on a very violent cliffhanger. What I'm gonna say is um these actors are so in demand that it's literally so near impossible to get them get their dates together like Bunkus Tripathi, um Nawaz Bai, um Saif Ali Khan. Like, dude, they're doing so many projects right now. Um oh they're always doing projects. And even a lot of the supporting characters are also big shots. So right. um and to get this and to get these many like stars in one like setting and it's not even for like a high grossing movie. It's like a in house project. Like it's probably not like financially available um you know unfortunately moss film doesn't exist you know anymore in a meaningful way um rip 
where you can just have like insane historic epics or random cool projects to be funded just because they're good. But and and it's sad because like when you do like a project like this, the whole the whole dream of like a Netflix original is like it wasn't going to be subject to the demands of mainstream film and TV markets because Netflix is putting up the money for the project. And at first you had like these projects that were like kind of breaking the mold or whatever. But now you, you, what you see and, and I mean, again, neoliberalism ruins everything. Here we go. But you, you're now seeing Netflix succumb to like attention economy markets or like succumb to like this idea of like whatever's trending on Twitter is going to be what we produce and what we were Dude, doing. I finished all of Wednesday Adams in a, in less than a day. And let me tell you, it is literally like if they ran through like what people from 16, 23 are thinking on Twitter and they'd like got chat GPT to make the dialogue in the story. Um, so it's like just extreme algorithmic um, pr production, and I just don't think any algorithm would generate sacred games as it is. So, right, and it's and it's also like the fact that the novel itself was very positively received when it came out, and was it's markedly different. It's a bit of a different beast, and it's a product of its time because it came out in two thousand seven. But then to have the author involved as an executive producer and sign off on that adaptation and for the adaptation to be good. It's, yeah, it's, that's, it's, that's it's a shame. It's a real shame. I, I, I will say that this is not even Anuraka Ship's like first gangster movie or a gangster not story. At all, or not at like, all, yeah, yeah. Or, or even his like first Mumbai-based story. Because he wrote um the one with Bikku Matre that really, really fit, like he wrote a bunch of Ram Gopal Varma's um, gangster movies. Um, he was the, he was that's how he started. He started off as a Ram Gopal Varma like award winning scriptwriter um, who just did a lot of um, great like epic movies to this day. Um, I think he wrote Satya. He wrote the story for Satya. Oh shoot! Yeah, which is like I would say it was probably the biggest game changer in Indian cinema, um, and. I mean, the music is also Vishal Bharadwaj, who's just goaded. Um, check out Vishal Bharadwaj's Shakespeare trilogy. Um, and, yeah, like, like, Andhra Kashyap knows his, his Mumbai gangster story writing very well, and his just gangster writing really well. And he also um, did this movie in, set in Rajasthan. Um, I think it's called, like, Gulab, um, where it's about, like, this... This like right wing, um, like oh, it's Gulal. Sorry, <laughs> the color Gulal, um, and it's very good. It's like student right wing politics, like um, caste elitism manifesting in Rajasthani politics, and it's about like a, a Rajput separatist movement, um, like really tearing apart like a ca university campus um, with different caste politics and stuff. And it's he's always been like someone who's very, and he released that movie. So he produced and like wrote and finished that movie like I think really early on, but it was released much later uh, when it became political. And then it was like, oh, it's politically contemporaneous with the times, you know, it fits with the times. But it was actually released before the times, and he was always following things at the grassroots level, um, like political trends. And he has an eye open um, for noticing where things are going or trying to see where things naturally 
too. Um, and, I, and so I think I think that helped. Him. But he's also like an insane um, film bro. So he has like an insane collection of movies he watches and he's inspired by too. So um, yeah, he, he's he's pretty goaded. So I, I'm not surprised that it turned out to be well. Um, but it's hard to get some something like a combination like this um, happen anywhere else. 100%. It's On the one hand, I'm trying to just be like happy that something like it exists in any form at all. Yeah. But then just the fact that like you can't even pursue a project like this to its natural or its logical conclusion is sad. Um so what I will say is um I'm really into K dramas actually. And there are actually okay. a lot I would say most K dramas are very critical of most detective thriller um K dramas are very critical of um, you know, uh neoliberalism and capitalism. There there a lot of them are extremely like um, explicitly leftist. Um, I can think of Chief of Staff. Um, recently, I saw um, an excellent, like, conspiratorial K drama um, called Little Women. Um, mm. I'm not going to spoil it too much, but it has things like Vietnam War veteran, like Vietnam War um, cults um, involved. Um, there's also Save Me, which is about like a parasitic cult infecting like a town that kind of like um, influenced a lot of the politics and the elites of the region into you know doing uh you know various uh right-wing things and it's 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 pretty horrifying um but also like it's just very aware of material circumstances of life and how power works um there's also stranger which i highly recommend as well um there's life and uh, also live both are good both are separate, different, but also great K dramas. And I want to say that Little Woman is wrote, written by the same uh, person who wrote um, Dare to Leave, which is that you know Park Chan Wook um, Korean film that you know won a bunch of awards with Tang Wei and stuff. So um, yeah, I'd say K dramas are very noited and very very good um, for you know analyzing politics and the way the world works. I mean, you see a little bit of it in Squid Games, which I think is a little bit more um, is a little bit more hyperbolistic, right? Um, but but Squid Games has like very good politics too, um, and it's just very aware. Um, yeah, yeah, I, th- I think I think K dramas are a fertile ground for that kind of media. Um, from based on what I've seen, American TV oh. shows, on the other hand, are and and, and, and Indian serials. Let's let's just not go there. I'm I'm gonna leave them uh, for the mother-in-laws. You know. Oh my god! Oh my god! Um. I'm trying to think um, because we we might this might devolve into like a broader conversation on Bollywood in general. So I guess the last question I had on the series itself, right? And this is kind of like a catch-all. Um, so I mean, there are like a lot of um, pervading themes in the series of like sectarian violence, casteism, uh, multiculturalism, and like religious discrimination. Uh, what do you think of the overall treatment? Like, is it accurate? Is it fair or biting or did it fail in any ways and then like similarly like what do you think the show did really well and like do you failed in any capacities at all i think it characterized the lives of its characters well and how it interacted with the material reality of mumbai and the world around them um i don't think it took an issue and tried to make it into a movie um and i don't i don't think that works most of the time you know um they took a living like a living construct and expressed it as it is. So I think they did a good job of like briefly, but if, if you want to learn more about specific like dimensions of 
social um, structure in India, then you'll probably have to like you know read or um, talk or talk and experience things yourself. But um, I think it's just a very well done show, and they didn't neglect anything. Um, they they showed everything. So is how I feel. Like a little bit of everything. You know, it's like a dolly plate. You know, you get you get your doll, you get your um, you know, you get your paneer, you get your parota. You know, you got everything in there. Yeah, I think that's 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 the fairest assessment. I think like yeah, like you got your misogyny on one hand, you got your homophobia, you got your you know your swears, you know, you know it, it's all in there. Trans representation too. Oh yeah, the the, the most compelling character is definitely the trans character. Um, yeah, that story is just super sad, but I guess spoilers. But it, it, it I, I did cry. <laughs> That scene. There are a couple points. It's a pretty sad show, I would say. There are a lot of times where you just have to cry a little bit, you know? Yeah, I think, like, you know, it is a very, like, biting crime and conspiracy piece of work. But there is a lot of, like, genuine uh, artistry put into, like, uh, the emotional aspects of the show. And and just as much as it's, like, an accurate picture. Oh, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, like, that's what people remember about like people who really like twin peaks who watch it because they loved um you know twin peaks emotionally they all like report that they they all um, talk about just how much it means for them um as 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 a piece of media because they feel for every character who suffers and this is definitely a show that accomplishes that unlike true detective where you really don't give a shit about most of the characters um it's just this like individual exercise by a super smart detective to like solve a solve a mystery or expose a conspiracy but you know this is like just you actually care about the characters and it hurts when they die or when they like get hurt you know it, it is a it is a great show in that as- aspect and i think that's what makes it more than just another oh like true detective season five or whatever 100 percent um i guess let's let's open up the discussion to like indian and maybe asian cinema and tv as a whole right um i did want to ask you this it's not really our discussion as a whole but i saw a lot of your rrr posts last year <laughs> watching it until like this year and i was like i had the flu last week so like i decided to watch it one of the days i was like really sick and i'll be honest you were one of, you were spot on there and i think like what got me about this film right is that I was very shocked with the amount of like favorable Western press it was getting. And my personal thing is that what Rajamuli is offering Western audiences is an existing solution to the problem of the MCU can no longer sustain itself. Yes. It is. Uh, I think what it is is that the the phenomenon of the spectacle that is the MCU is like limited by it having to rely on pre-existing IP and Western audiences got their taste from, you know, the most widely marketed Indian film ever. Um, and they saw that, you know, commercial Indian cinema is IMO. It's more enjoyable. Um, it's more enjoyable spectacle than, um, mcu and a lot of it is because the characters are real people so like like i i, I you know i'm an rr you know i'm a rajamali um, i've seen every single one of his movies 
um, from birth. You know, it's it is my cross to bear. But um, you know, it, it. But I will say, every single Art Rajamouli movie has has an aspect of sincerity between characters that um, is retains like makes the movie grounded no matter how many flying cars there are you know how many flying how many like random guys just end up flying across the roof or whatever um and they're done in a very like emotionally um driven way that makes sense um and for rrr i felt like a lot of the emotions were overblown and motivations weren't really didn't make sense but the relation between the two leads was so strong and the bromance was so compelling that um i think it really drove the movie forward even though i don't think it's I don't think it's my like my favorite Rajamouli film by any means. I don't think it's even like my top ten Indian movies of the decade or maybe even the year. Um, but I, I do think it is a very like that that two, the dynamic between the two characters is something that's true and that's something you don't see in the MCU. It's not something you see in Fast and Furious, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that Hollywood is like realizing that they're like, wow, like commercial Indian cinema is based on like this solid emotional grounding that actually adds something to the spectacle. So. Um, and I, and I think like I love mass commercial cinema. I love mass cinema. You know, I, that's what you know in India. But that's what we call it. You know, the commercial cinema, the the bonds. You know, yeah, um, yeah. the RRRs. You know, like I, I love commercial cinema. I think commercial Indian cinema has a lot better products to offer. They're just not um, exported in the same manner, in the same like marketed in the same excellent way that RRR has been. Yeah, it was um, like the same work, but like with the high budget treatment, basically. Yeah. And I guess that was my my foolish assumption is I thought that like if the work is being noticed then maybe the style the style has grown or developed in some way and then what I really got is like no this is a film that could have been produced five years ago with a I think Shole is like an infinitely better movie than RRR yeah Shole has like arguably more spectacle <laughs> right um, and more like pizzazz than RRR it's just because the characters are like so well acted and like they're so real and you know the quest for revenge is just you just feel it you know you, you just really get into the mood um and it's just it, it's just such a visceral movie even though it is spectacle and it is you know commercial mass cinema um my favorite one of my favorite mass movies of all time is a uh, basha which is a rajnikov movie and it's it's just done so well um there's a lot of commercial Indian cinema that is extremely well done. And I think even Rajmoli, um, I highly recommend watching his movie Iga, or in Hindi it's Maki. And it's literally mm -hmm. like a movie where a fly enacts revenge. And I, I, I am not joking, people were crying in the theaters for the fly. Like, it is really well done. And I do think that the thing with Indian commercial cinema has a fundamental understanding of human emotion <laughs> and showing it uh, convincingly. Um, and I, I think I think that's um, I think I think that's something like Western um, cinema la like Western commercial cinema lacks. I think that's why like when people were talking about WandaVision being like such an emotional um, like ride, it's so dramatic. Like I mean maybe, but it did feel a bit alienating and individualistic in the way it showed like how the isolation of the character. Like I think like in like I can think a lot of like commercial Indian fantasy movies that probably did a better job of making you feel something. Yeah. yeah, that's spot on. I guess what what is it gonna take for like 
the real art, like the real like uh, masterpieces, to, to to start showing up, right? Because there's a lot of like mass cinema in India that's good. There's a lot of it that's like junk, and then within Indian cinema too, there's this like north south bias where like Hindi cinema gets to you know present itself as the mainstream and like like uh oh they're doing their own thing that's cute it's that's been, always been like the paternalistic dynamic i've noticed um but there's a lot of like um Tamil and Telugu cinema that's like pushing the boundaries of the medium or is dealing with very serious themes like um have you seen this film um i, th- I forgot what it's called but like uh, the title is western gods in Tamil and it's about like um cardamom harvesters uh, trying to form a union and losing, I think is the plot of the movie. And they end I've up like, seen that movie. I, yeah. I I definitely will have to check it out now. Um, that sounds really good. Yeah, I think it's, it's called. On uh, it's on Netflix. It's um. Oh, I've, I found it. It's called uh, Mirku Torat Chid Malay. That's the one. That's the one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of like Malayalam movies um, that are also like very, you know, but they're like low key, but they're also excellent. Um, I think there's also a lot of mass like commercial cinema with great politics and like emancipatory messages. Um, like um, like Baranjit is an excellent director. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of his boxing movie, um, Sar Pataparamparai, um, which is based on a boxing subculture of Madras in like the 60s, uh, the, more more the 80s, I think. Um, there's a great movie Varachene with Vetri Modern, which is probably my favorite movie of all time. Um, um, Vada Chennai just means North Chennai, and it is like just this like locale inspired epic um, that really delves into a lot of the themes um, that you see in um, Sacred Games too, but in a very local and very real context. But that's also at the same time it has that commercial mythic flavor, you know. Um, other like big commercial movies that I appreciate. Um, I would have to include like Kala, you know, the Rajnikanth Bharajit uh, movie. I love that movie. A lot of people didn't like it. Um, a lot of people thought, like, you know, critics were kind of snobby about it, but I, I really appreciated the movie. It's really cool. Um, great politics, uh, great, just great uh, work of art. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's a lot of great directors to check out too. Um, there's also Karnan, which uh, you may have seen or not. I think it is on Netflix or Prime, but um, it's also a Danish movie. It's also about. A- is inspired by a real life incident that happened of uh, uh where a marginalized group was um like their their entire village was kind of sacked by um you know elite landholders uh but it was but it, it's such a beautiful movie um and it's treated so well um, artistically every scene is just so thought out and it is a commercial movie you know it, it is like this epic um i really loved it a lot there's a lot of good like you know approachable movies that are made in India all the time that with universal themes that are, you know, everyone can get into, you know, you don't have to be a snobby, um, Malayalam obsessed, uh, Kino nerd like me to appreciate them. Um, it's just a lot of the times they're kind of marketed at a lesser scale than RRR because we have to remember RRR is the most expensive Indian movie to ever be produced. Right. That, that's yeah. That needs no further contradiction for me. Uh, I'll let to say, I also have to add, um, RRR has probably the worst soundtrack out of any um, 
Dude, I don't get how not I don't get how not to not to got a fucking award. I don't get it. Dude, like, I don't like the song. Okay, the choreo the choreo is pretty good. But I've seen so many Indian movies with better choreo than that. Like or the past like twenty years of my life, like twenty something years of my life. It, it is it is just it is good. I enjoyed it. I love the scenes, but like come on man. Like the soundtrack is not that great. Like just want to get it out of the way. I can't believe Kidawani got an award for that because Kidawani has some amazing soundtracks um have you heard of criminal the hindi movie criminal um uh it is a good that he also did the music for that he, he's done a lot of bollywood too um and I, also garawani is out in my top five Indian composers of all time even um he's not on the list so um i will i'm gonna i'm gonna say this i think he's overrated right now i don't think he's bad i just think he's overrated i think rr soundtrack is extremely overrated um yeah i'm gonna get a lot of hate for this but uh someone's gotta be a hater you know? I I'm personally here for it. I you know, yeah. I, I, I'm I'm cultivating the Gaithonde mindset. Hashtag hashtag Gaithonde grindset. Hashtag Gaithonde grindset. Hashtag Yele Gandmerak. That's such a funny line, dude. <laughs> oh my god. I mean, I'm, let me see if I got anything else in the outline, like. This is this has actually been fun. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hold you. This was this is probably one of the better episodes I've done. Thanks, thanks. Uh, it's it's all thanks to Unruka shit, man. He's 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 making content even when he's not on the podcast. One day we're gonna get him on the podcast, dude. Oh my god, that would be I I would love to interview him about this series. It, like I him, think he's also a stoner, if I'm not mistaken. He's like a big stoner culture guy. Oh god. <laughs> oh, you know you know who is the big stoner though? Noah's. Nawaz was apparently stoned for a like. The, there's a scene in um, Gangs of Westport where he jumps off a roof, and apparently he was completely stoned uh, during that scene. Oh so, my god, that's crazy! Uh, yeah, so we we should get Nawaz and uh, Underog on this podcast one day, and then they're just gonna they're they're gonna this is gonna be the Joe Rogan experience, but with good politics. Light that green gas in your house on greenhouse gas lighting. Let's go. <laughs> God. The greenhouse gaslighting is a pro gas stove podcast. <laughs> gas stove only. Um, oh my gosh. Greenhouse gaslight gaslighting endorses uh, sniffing the gas stove twenty four seven. You fellas, I tell you what, you're not taking that gas stove away from me. <laughs> That's such a what a stupid discourse they've they fucking uh, put into the psyche. Oh that's my what, that's god! That's what neoliberalism does, though. It's like it's just like oh, it's literally just what if we what if politics is stupid posting wars? I'm pretty much you're right, and it's like it's the thing is like if you look at that infographic of like only like what ten percent of like the population in Florida owns a gas stove, but you know DeSantis is out here talking about you know you can take them from our cold dead hands. Crazy shit. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely bizarre crazy shit. Uh, um I think I think we fully like exhausted the outline here. I guess is there is there anything else you think we missed or anything that's probably worth sharing? Um yeah, I, I would just if you're into the show, I would also recommend looking up, you know, stuff about Anna the Marga, maybe allegedly things that they may have been involved with. Um just you know, just just uh, also, um, also I also think there's like some Om Shurinkyo uh, influence on right. the uh, portrayal. Oh um, yeah, oh, just yeah. just all the neoliberal like um, context um, 
that facilitates, you know, these highly individualized charismatic cults to, you know, serve as uh, like forward outposts for right-wing interests and, um, you know, to, to, for strategy of tension agenda that can, that can, you know, um, further their goals. 100%. And, and I think, um, um, so S. Hussein Zaydi is a, um, Indian investigative journalist and he wrote a couple books about the, um, the Mumbai mob. And that actually ended up serving as like a framework for this series, first as the novel and probably for the series as a whole, right? Some of it has been adapted into mass cinema, actually. Um, I haven't really checked out his work yet, but I've been meaning to for a second now, just because, like, um, like you know, being part of like the uh, Desi diaspora, right? Like, we're kind of just um, de- depending on like what part of the United States you live in, for example, right? Like, we're kind of a lumpenized community too, and we don't really understand. Uh, the context for why things are the way here in the United States, the Imperial Corps, and we also don't understand like uh, history back home, or we understand the sanitized version of it. You know, if if we are from middle class backgrounds or whatever. So, I I need to do a little more reading myself. I'm holding myself accountable. Are you telling me that um, Mindy Kaling is not actually that um? Well versed in how reality works for um, and 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 the material circumstances that uh, you know govern people's lives. You know what? You are the perfect person to have on the podcast to to talk about this because yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. That is exactly. That, 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 that sounds kind of racist. Not gonna lie, dude. You know the thing is, oh. um, another person in the same vein that got me was. Um, and I had no one to talk to about this, like, uh, when this was going on. But do you remember Aziz Ansari's show, um, Master of None? I, I, okay, let me tell you something. I have a ban on watching any diaspora content. I do not engage. I do Based. not touch. Based. I stay away. The only thing I used to listen to was that, um, was that one, like, late night show with, um, what's his face? Um, the guy Hassan Minaj. Hassan Minaj, um, I think I saw a little bit of his show, but that's about it. I just really don't engage with um, Diaspora because I know it's going to be bad and really cringe. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, basically, the Zinsara show that like really like got me and like turned me off on a bit of it was like... Um, he, this is one of those shows that like, I don't know how else to say it, but like his show, a lot of Mindy Cowling's stuff, it gets pitched to the diaspora as like feel good representation content. But the reality is like, it's for a certain kind of white content consumer. And it really shows all the characters are just white people. It's literally like a white character doing brown face. It's pretty, it's pretty much like what they're trying to tell you is like the aspiration for you as like a, complex individual who happens to be a member of the of the diaspora that your highest aspiration should be to be a professional managerial class person in a in an urban setting that's it yeah um and to also you know be a psl drinker um you know go to the country club 
the segregated country club, you know, have a have a have a racist beer with the boys, you know. And just like, you know, and like the the engagement of social justice or the engagement against like systemic racism that you do is is all performative in a way. And there's this glaring plot hole in Master of None. I need to I need to say this, okay? Is like Aziz Ansari plays a character called named Dev Shah. So I'm guessing this is like a Hindu, like North North Indian guy. Yeah. But then in like the backstory they set up for him, there's like scenes of his parents like saying that no, they're actually like South Indian. And, and like there's scenes of them speaking in Tamil, and like there's even like them saying Tamil phrases when they're like around him. So now I'm like, okay, which Tamil dude is named Dev Shah? Then to top it off, out of nowhere, he's like, oh, by the way, I'm Muslim, my family's Muslim. And I'm like, what Muslim dude is named Dev Shah? Pretty sure the producers make them do, they have to do all kinds of weird stuff to like fit into like white people's expectations. Like I know Kumail Nanjiani, um, they literally made him like, uh, they actually made him like a, like a Hindu Brahmin character in Silicon Valley. And he's like, no, please, no, please don't make me do this. They even had like pictures of Ganesha posted on his like set. God, it is so horrible to be a Hollywood uh, token representation person. Um, yeah, it's really unfortunate that they like Aziz, someone like Aziz to you know have career success. Basically, had to create a false image of himself, like with no sincerity at all. Um, you know, it, it, that that that's what it takes. You know, I mean, that's what neoliberalism does. It's about che- hitting checkboxes and. Um, you hit those checkboxes, you make the content, um, you sleep in the pod, you eat the worm, um, the worm is your girlfriend, um, there we go. It's, it's all a circle. And you get, you know, you get a white girlfriend or a white boyfriend out of it, and it's like, and I, don't, and I don't even care about the interracial dating stuff, I really don't. But it's like, it's this bizarre, like, narrative of, like, what's what your highest aspiration ought to be as it is quite literally white exceptionalism being marketed as what you should aspire to as a um you know you know as part of a diaspora i'm gonna be real like the south asian diaspora is artificially selected um to be you know the the most comprador the most like plantation crat like (laughs) guy back from back from the homeland you know to get the opportunity to come here through the, you know, the immigration system, you know, they're selecting for like highly educated, um, you know, people with the means to actually like give up their jobs. Um, and there are huge costs um, to get naturalized. It's like tens of thousands of dollars. It's over decades. So it's like, it, yeah, it, it is a lumpenizing process that actively selects for, you know, more right-wing elite class interest or at least petty bourgeois class interest aligned people um more so than not um and i, I, I would characterize the immigration and acculturation process as a whole as a kind of lumpenizing um force by itself so and i i think there's little reflection of what that is and what that removes from people's individuality um in the process um yeah yeah, and like I, I guess like that's the whole reason why like Mindy Kaling, Aziz Ansari, some of these other like diaspora names were supposed to celebrate as these big W's for representation. Like 
it, it just it produces this like bubbling anger in me that like not a lot of people get of like celebrate basically being like middle class that's our that's that's our role here you know what i mean yeah it is it is quite literally like it it, it is a way of like it is kind of a warning like know your place you know like know your role know like you are the model explained. minority and be happy with it yeah Not only are you the model minority, but you have to also be like as white as possible and have the worst um, culinary and cultural takes and uh, be just as right wing. Yeah, yeah. You gotta, you gotta take the merch out of the masala, you know. Just take the seeds out, take the pith out. Yeah, just, just. You just gotta eat. You just gotta eat the heat, but you call it yogurt now. It's over. Oh God. I mean, there it is. Definitely, you know what? Our best media uh, is is back in the motherland. Will will the diaspora catch up? Uh, stay tuned. Uh, diaspora. I hope the diaspora um, never produces any media again. I am actively um, creating the regime uh, guidelines for producing art as the commissar of culture for the upcoming regime, and uh, I'll be I'll be personally ensuring that no diaspora voices um, will be heard. Um, um, and you, the world will thank me for that. This is this is a poop dude promise. You know what? I stand I stand with poop dude, and yeah, I'm checking on uh, I'm checking on all y'all who don't. Yeah, uh, we gotta stop diaspora media production until we find out what the fuck is going on. <laughs> and how how can people be so corny, man? It's like I don't know. There it is. There's the answer. Corn. High fructose corn syrup. There we go. It's destroying the brains, dude. The DC brain cannot handle that. The DC brain, you know what? It's it's designed to do the millets, barley, rice. Uh, that's what gourd, the, gourd. It can only take gourd. Um, you know that that jaggery. That's that's all it can take. You can't. Yeah, handle the, you can only take jaggery. You can't even. <laughs> Not even processed sugar, dude. Not even processed sugar. Oh, God. Have you seen that article? Um, I, I guess, like, I'll, I'll do the wrap-up later. But have you seen the um, that article about how, like, um, the legacy of colonialism weighs heavy on, like, South Indian, or not even South Indian, just Indian uh, health issues in general, right? And it's, like, especially if you come from a region of India that was affected by, like, uh, famines... Yeah, the epigenetic studies. Yeah, like your starvation yeah, yeah. adapted. It's like, huh, why are people struggling to lose weight? <laughs> like, yeah, because, yeah, I've, I've seen that. I, I think I've seen a study like that in Italy, too, but I haven't checked the Indian one out. I'll definitely check it out. Yeah, like a, it was like a Huffington Post article, like, talking about the study. I didn't see, like, the article itself. If yeah, I find yeah. it, I'll, I'll share it with you. Um. Yeah, I was going to say, like, also, it in fact impacts our cultural eating practices. Like, why do you think all the grandmas are? Why, why are all the dadis always packing the ghee in the in the chowl? You know, like because they probably didn't have any of it. Like, why are we stuffing kids' food. faces? Like, because it's like you're giving the kids the thing you didn't have. Yeah. Yeah. Like, why? Why, why is every kid born with the pack of amul butter now? You know, like. <laughs> 
There like, why is. are they hooked onto the Ummel Butter IV at birth? You know, like. I think it's a confluence of like that as well as just the Gujarati industrial complex we don't talk about. Oh yeah, dude. Uh they're trying to get you they're trying to get they're trying to get you to put the jaggery in the doll, but little do they know that I, I don't I don't fuck with that shit, dude. Fuck that shit. Fuck that shit. What do y'all think this is? Thai food, get out of here. This is the this is the savory doll chat. All you Gujarati doll enjoyers, get the fuck out of here. If you want to put tamarind in it, that's fine, but then call it sambar. I don't want to hear this shit. Literally. You, put, you, you, want, you want to put some seasoning? You put some fucking chunk, a little salt, add you some fucking garlic. That's it. That's how my grandma used to fucking make it. Hey, hey. Take it easy. Yeah, that, that's, how, that's, how, that's the Sicilian doll. Just, <laughs> just, just add some tomatoes in there. <laughs> And some slurs, you know? You got the Staten Island doll special. <laughs> oh, God. It's so cool they used to give people pensions for being racist. Um, and, man. <laughs> I know a bunch of Gujarati uncles who could use that, you know? Dear God. I mean, again, if you want that job, just go back and, like, you know, apply with the BJP. Isn't like I mean Amit Shah is the still the, the leader of that shit and like he has like two homicide charges that haven't been prosecuted. What what can I say, dude? Sometimes the ops they get they get they go too hard. Sometimes you just gotta take care of the ops, you know. Just reading this um with the Karnataka assembly elections were happening a while back, like I think seventy percent of all the um winners had at least four murder cases like a couple of them had like more assault it, it, it was pretty it's pretty cool that like it's all out of the open like there's just like straight up just guys with like mob cases just walking around so like it, it is like po in the popular awareness as opposed to like you know people pretend that's not the case everywhere else in the world <laughs> yeah like george santos would not be controversial in india not at all no, he he would be the most popular politician like, like every, like imagine, like every mom, she like, oh, oh, George, deko, oh, kitna, kitna mushkil se aya, itne powers ko, and it's just like, okay, mom, okay. <laughs> God. Oh, yeah. Shit. Every mother-in-law is gonna demand her son-in-law to have that grind set. I mean, that's that's what grind set is. Is like lie, cheat, steal. Well, I guess that's everything we had planned for this episode. Um, so I guess we can start closing this out. Uh, Boop Dude, where can people find uh, more of you if they want to hear more from you? Um, I'm on Twitter, um, at King Krebs. Um, I also um, sometimes allegedly have a podcast called Pedagogy of the Depressed um, about different medical crimes against humanity type of stuff. Um, so if you're into it, um, yeah, follow us, um, like us. Um, uh, and if you want to share uh, a cool meme, uh, just at me on Twitter, um, and I'll block you. So thank you. All right. <laughs> well, thanks again for coming on, Poop Dude. Um, this has been another episode of uh, Greenhouse Gaslighting. You can follow us on Twitter at, at @podgreenhouse. And I'll have the links to all our social media in the uh, description below. So until next time.
Take care, dear listeners. We'll see you next time. Peace.